At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Today's topic is all about prescription medicine or really how do we access prescription meds and that is a very wide-ranging, very deep conversation in and of itself because you have a lot of different categories of prescription medicines from allergies to serious controlled substances that really kind of alter people's minds. So when we talk about the ability to provide accurately priced, I guess, is a, is a way that we can put it. Um, maybe accurate price isn't the right way to do it, but affordable. That can mean a lot of different things to people. Affordable drugs that can be had by the right type of people and a lot of the barriers are taking out of it. Again, you can see that even even I have trouble wrapping my head around this. And to help us through this conversation today, because obviously I'm going to need some help getting through a conversation about prescription medicine here and what in the world is going on to, on with it, please welcome Chris Blackley, the CEO of Prescriptive. Chris, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thank you, Chris. Welcome to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, aside from me having serious brain farts and even how to first scratch the surface of why prescription medicine is and has been a very hot topic in healthcare, give us a little bit about prescriptive, a little bit about your background, and even why this company exists today. Yeah, Chris, that, I think your introduction actually captured it in terms of what we're trying to do. You mentioned putting patients first and restoring trust. And I think that's really kind of at the heart of what we're trying to do. From a background perspective, my touch with the space and, and passion for prescription medication and making it accessible and affordable goes back 20 years ago. I, uh, I founded a company that provided technology to pharmacies and this was back at a time when volumes were growing uh, exponentially year over year, and, and the technology was old, and I'm a technologist. I started my career at IBM. I spent 15 years almost uh, at Microsoft. That's my background. And so when I looked at the space and I, I began to try to understand it and, and the challenges associated with it, I was kind of in your shoes. I, I didn't really know that much about it. I didn't know why it was so hard and complex. And um, if you fast forward 20 years, it's only gotten worse. Uh, I think a good way to kind of understand a little bit of that complexity or, or why folks don't necessarily understand why it is so hard and, and complex is most company, most people don't even know who's at the heart of the industry and how it works. They've, they've never heard of companies like Express Scripts or Caremark or Optum. These are massive companies that nobody's ever heard of. 
before they were acquired by uh, insurance companies and vertically integrated, all three of them were in the Fortune 50 of the, of the Fortune 100, and nobody knew who they were. Everybody, we're all healthcare consumers. I'm a healthcare consumer. We've all got family members who have experienced healthcare, and um, and most of us have experienced showing up at the pharmacy counter and not being able to afford their medication. And so that's really at the heart of what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to help consumers understand before they walk out of the doctor's office what they're going to be able to, to do to get their medication. And we think the technology can play a material part in that. Walk us through a typical transaction. You mentioned somebody walking up to a pharmacy window, obviously not knowing what they're going to pay. So walk us through a typical pharmaceutical transaction, and I think that'll help kind of shine light on some of the murkiness that happens behind the scenes. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different folks involved. Um, the first one is the, the prescriber and the prescriber system that they're typing into. Uh, called the EHR system or the health record system. They write that prescription. And back in the day, you used to get a piece of paper handed to you and you'd walk out of the office with that prescription and you could go shop it if you wanted to. You could call up the pharmacies and they'd give you a price and you go back far enough in time and you were paying cash for it and it was probably mostly affordable. You bring in insurance, the fact that many people don't pay for their medication. And so the system begins to break down there. And, and to be really clear, the system is fundamentally broken. You're not going to fix the U.S. prescription drug market by doing a remodel in the house. It's, it's rotten to the core. And, and, and I'll, I'll help understand why that is. But that prescription, when it gets written, they ask you the question. The, the prescriber says, where would you like your prescription sent? And you usually say the pharmacy closest to the house. When you answer that question, you most likely know nothing about it other than the convenience of the pharmacy location. You don't know if there's an alternative therapy that maybe is uh, less expensive for you that would be equally effective. You don't know if paying cash would be less expensive than using your insurance plan. You don't know if there's a generic available that you should be asking for instead. You don't know if pharmaceutical companies have financial assistance that they can provide to you that would make it affordable uh, if you can't afford it. All you do is you show up at the pharmacy counter and that's where all of the surprises, all of the breakdowns occur and where you learn that the drug's not covered and the insurance company that you have won't pay for it because of all the rules that they have. And the consequence of that is severe. 10% of the time when that prescription lands at the pharmacy counter and you show up, the consumer walks away they leave 10% of the prescriptions behind the counter and go home without the medication that their, that their physician says that they need. That drives, and there's 5 billion prescriptions a year. So 10% of 5 billion is a big number. That drives $300 billion of avoidable medical expense because that patient ends up back in the doctor's office or the hospital. If, if they had been able to have the information they needed, all those different options and choices to help the doctor and the patient get to the information to know that when they walk out of the, the physician's office, they're going to get on that medication, that $300 billion of, of medical expense could be completely avoided. But what happens is the prescription goes to the pharmacy, the pharmacy runs a claim, the claim goes through a company called a switch, the switch sends it to the payer, your PBM. The PBM sends back a transaction that tells the pharmacy that it's not covered. The pharmacy then calls the doctor, runs a prior authorization request. So you can see the system completely breaks down. The patient knows nothing but stands on the other side of the counter and says, I can't afford my medication. And for me, 
my personal story on this, and I, I was not personally affected by this, but we all have stories. The one that really gets to me is back in 2018, and, and you can look this up uh, with a search online, but the story of Heather Holland is kind of the, the canonical example of how horrible the system is. She went to the doctor with the flu. She got a prescription. She went to the pharmacy. It was $116, I think, for the antiviral medication that she needed. She had insurance. She couldn't afford the $116 or chose not to pay the $116. She walked out. She died two weeks later from the flu. That medication is $35. So when we talk about the 30% of drug costs that Americans pay more than everybody else in the world, that's how it shows up. A lot of different things touched upon there from, like I said, like shining light on the murkiness. Now, I want to break that down because, you know, earlier you said, look, we didn't have this when it was just a piece of paper that a doctor would give somebody and say, go shop this around. Are these problems, and I'm trying to get back to root cause here, Chris. So are these problems something that really the digitization of prescriptions, like the e-prescribing as people call them, is that just one step along the way into creating this tangled web? Like, where did it all go wrong? Where was that fork in the road in your mind? The fork in the road was when the it, – it's, it's fundamentally a macroeconomic problem. The ecosystem is, has the wrong financial incentives. And what I mean by that is over the course of the last – let me give you an example. Take a step back and get, provide an example. Diabetes and insulin has become has gotten a lot of attention recently, and, and for all the right reasons. The, the, the cost of insulin has gone up, and it's quadrupled in the last five to seven years. What manufacturers are doing is they're increasing the list price of insulin because they have to pay a rebate to these companies it's called pharmacy benefit managers who are negotiating these prices for the market. They control 80% of the market. So... When a pharmacy benefit manager who's administering the benefit plans for, you know, in our area, here in the Northwest, Microsoft, Amazon, Boeing, Starbucks, these are massive employee bases and, and large, large groups of, of people and customers for pharmacies. So what they do is they walk into the pharmacy and, and as the PBM and say, look, I've got five, six hundred, I've got 30% of the population here in the Pacific Northwest and if you don't like the price I'm going to pay you for their benefits, for their drugs, that's okay. I'll just take them across the street because they're not going to use your pharmacy if it's not covered by your pharmacy and you don't take their insurance. So they put pressure on the pharmacy to push the price down. Then they turn around to the employer and they add a premium. So if I, if I pay the pharmacy a dollar, I charge the employer $2, I make a buck. That's where the 30% is going. It's going to the middleman who's negotiating and controlling price. Those companies have consolidated over the last 10, 15 years. So you've got 80% of the market flowing through three companies. Anytime a marketplace has its distribution channel consolidate, it loses three things. It loses control over price. It loses connection to its customer. And it loses control over how much value it realizes. And so these companies are taking 30% out of the market in terms of rent, an economic term, you know, economist term. So that's where the 30% is going and why we're just paying more. So going back to insulin, the manufacturers have to pay more, have to raise their price to pay the rebate back to the uh, PBM because if they don't, they get kicked off the formulary. 
but yet they're actually realizing a lower net price in what the manufacturer gets from the marketplace. So the price is quadrupling, the manufacturer is getting less, where did it go? Well, it didn't go to the pharmacy because we had 1,200 pharmacies go out of business during a global health pandemic. It didn't go to the distributors because they run on basis points. And it didn't go to the manufacturer because they're getting less, a net realized price after rebates. So that's where the money's going and that's why the problem is so structurally ingrained in the system is you've got the you've got a macroeconomic problem with all the wrong financial incentives. It sounds like we are just straight up saying, "Hey, you pack of wolves, come have the lambs." Here we go. We're leading them right to them there. And it sounds like it's it's really monopolistic behavior, predatory um, in that in that example right there. I guess my biggest question is why do people even do business with PBMs at this point in time? knowing that there, there's a massive problem right here. And, and Chris, I've, I've heard that from politicians up at the federal level and the state level. Everybody has their sights set on PBMs. Nobody really knows how to define it. And then the average consumer's like, well, I, I, I don't know what to do. The average consumer's never heard of them, don't know who they are. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to, you know, I, I, I mentioned that I was at Microsoft for 15 years. I, 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 had, I had colleagues who were there for 20 years who didn't even know the logo was on the back of their insurance card and never knew who they were. So they've kind of lived behind the curtain for a really long time until very recently in the last few years when regulators have begun to take a take a look behind the curtain and try to figure out, you know, what's going on here. And I, I think that's why people continue to use them. Uh, they don't understand it. It's a very complex market. It's a very complex pricing system. And it there, there's, you know, I'll, I'll put a little bit of the burden on employers because the employers are the ultimate buyers. They have the ability to drive change. They, particularly your largest employers, they're the ones who have the influence with their pocketbook. But it's hard, and, and it takes some courage, and and there's risk in it, and it's a really complex system that requires you to get educated. And, and most of the departments who manage these programs within the employer, they're small. They've got other priorities within the company. Uh, it's only because the cost of drugs has gone so high so fast and is now the largest part of healthcare benefits expense that they don't have a choice anymore. And so they're getting better educated. They're raising the issue with regulators. And so I think it will change, but I think it's only because it has to get worse before it gets better. Anytime anybody uses the word change and regulators in the same sentence, I, I'm, I'm not as optimistic there, Chris. <laughs> And, and again, it's because it's really complex and you have to spend time to figure out, okay, how does it actually work and in order to identify solutions that will have an impact? And, you know, not everybody's willing to take the time. We're talking with Chris Blackley, the CEO of Prescriptive. So, Chris, after highlighting a lot of the problems that, again, very murky, very muddy waters to try to sift through, how is Prescriptive... You know, what are you doing to help, I guess, fix the issues there? Where's, uh, where's, where's your strong suit in trying to actually help people? Yeah, I'll start with kind of a fundamental premise that we began with back in 2017. And, and we were told we were a little bit nuts for making a bet on this. But when we spent about six to nine months kind of drawing out the ecosystem and the flow of information and data that's required to understand price and benefits and, and drug choices, and you, you flow it all out and you look at where the money's going, we came to a conclusion that 
the system, as I said earlier, is fundamentally broken. It's rotten to the core. You're not going to fix it from within. And so you have to essentially build an entirely new ecosystem and marketplace outside of the current business model. And the second thing we, we bet on was to create an efficient market, you're going to have to empower the consumer. Healthcare is going to go through the consumer in the future. And, and again, this was five years ago. And that was considered crazy that people would, you know, the consumer would take over the, the purchasing decision of, in healthcare. And we also bet that it would go through the mobile phone that they're carrying around in their pocket. Uh, you fast forward through a pandemic and, and now that's kind of a foregone conclusion. And, and there's been a lot of advancement in that perspective. But we think that by empowering consumers with all the information that they need to understand is this drug covered? Is it not? Are there alternatives? Can I do better with a, a less expensive medication? Can I get financial assistance if I can't afford it? Can I pay cash out of pocket and save money? And if I do all of that before I leave the doctor's office and I can still co have a conversation with my provider who's trying to help me get, get well, if I can close all of that out and I can make that decision and then look across pharmacies and find the pharmacy that I can afford with the medication that I need and can afford, and I walk out of the doctor's office with that, I can show up at the pharmacy counter and all those barriers are gone. And people will get on the medication that they need and be able, be able to afford it. And so that was the big bet is that you start with the consumer, consumerization of healthcare will take hold and consumers will make better decisions if you do. And, and what we've learned is that that's absolutely true. When we send a message to a patient in the doctor's office, when that prescription gets written, that says, hey, there's an alternative path, 50% of the time they take that path with no other nudge or intervention. How often, and, and the, Chris, sorry to pop in there, that, that was an interesting um, little number you threw out there. How often do you find that there are alternative paths? It, it depends on the patient and the scenario, but it's, it's, it's extremely frequent because of the complexity of the different scenarios, whether it's a specialty medication, whether it's a benefit plan that has different plan design and formulary constructs. There's a whole bunch of ingredients or characteristics that play into that, but it's always on the more expensive medications where that event occurs. So, you know, a, a plan is doing well when 90% of the dispensings and prescriptions are generic. And, and those are the lowest cost medications. So the real expense is in the last 10% and particularly in the 1% to 2% of specialty medications where these drugs are, you know, thousands of dollars per month, tens of thousands of dollars per month, and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So it doesn't take a large volume of changes and interventions to have a massive impact. And just one change for one individual can have a major impact on the life of that one person, which to me makes it all worthwhile. The reason why I ask, Chris, is, is you know, in, in all healthcare, is an interaction between a doctor and a patient. And a lot of different things spring out from that. But in your opinion, is a physician or the provider doing enough if they're just not even looking at all the other factors that go into that decision to prescribe that drug? They're trying, but I don't think it's a fair expectation because... If, if you consider the pressure that the providers are under to try to get through their schedule for the day, the amount of time that they're, you know, I, I was listening to one of your other podcasts and, you know, they get that email that says, hey, you're spending too much time with uh, all of your patients. You need to cut it back three minutes on average. 
and then then we're going to add to their workflow hey let me turn my screen around and go shopping with you i just don't think it's a practical expectation um when the reality is if if you just intervened on 10 to 15 percent of the transactions where the prescription is being written and there was a better alternative that could make it more affordable for the patient then you're having a massive impact on cost and for us we see it's usually on average at least a hundred dollars Per, per prescription per patient and uh, per dispensing. And so wow. that's the difference between paying the electric bill or, you know, pay, paying for food, right, for, for a lot of people. I got an email from uh, one of our plan members, one of our, our clients, and she just was thankful because now she, her, she was paying for her child's transplant medication than what she was paying four years earlier. And so... It's one patient at a time that you can have a massive impact, but yet you can still reduce the cost of the plan sponsor to an employer like 15 to 40%. Again, Americans pay 30% more than everybody else in the world. You can just apply that number to everything. That's how much plan sponsors, employers, health insurance carriers, they're all paying 30% more. It's a $500 billion industry. That's how much waste there is. It's amazing. And and the reason why I asked that question is because, you know, I swear that, you know, for anybody listening out there, I did not pay Chris to say this, but I was almost a ringing endorsement for spending more time with your physician face-to-face to be able to work through these things. And we have a nice little model in direct primary care that allows doctors to do that and actually go through and find, hey, is it going to be a coupon? Is it going to be an alternative choice? Is it, uh, let, let's help people find prescriptive there. I, it's funny, Chris, like, that becomes the root problem. Time spent with a patient has become the root problem for so much of really the bullshit that has ever happened in healthcare that a lot of physicians have just given that up because there's somebody upstairs saying, you need to see more patients. You need to spend more time with them. It's almost in this roundabout way that, that physicians can actually do have the power and can take that back and actually help people utilize great tools such as this. So I did want to just throw that out there that I didn't lead you on to that one, I don't think, at all. But we hear that time and time again from different ancillary medical industries. And it's it's one of those things where you just kind of beat your head against the wall thinking, oh, my gosh, how do we get this? And how do we keep doing the same thing? That's that's the big question, Mark. So thank God for companies such as yours. So I, I, I am curious, Chris. So who are your main customers? Yeah, so... As, as I said earlier, you're going to have to rip the house down and replace it, build it from scratch. And so we set out to build a, a new ecosystem. And so to do that requires that you kind of serve many parties. And so we start out by building a, the commerce infrastructure to support the marketplace. So we're, we're at heart, we're technologists. Um, a lot of us came from Microsoft and other large technology companies because that's where that's one of the other barriers to change in this market is the data and the information flow. There's, you know, just like you had consolidation on the market access through PBMs, you've got consolidation on the technology and the information flow. There's two companies that control it essentially, and, and they're not interested either in helping solve the problem because they're all monetizing it six ways to Sunday. So our first customer on that in that new market is, is self-funded employers. So we go into the employer, we say, look, we can. We can give you back the rent that's being taken from the incumbents. Uh, that usually results in a, depending on where they are, a 15 to 40 percent savings on their drug cost. And again, that's the largest, fastest growing cost that they have today. And so that's a material number for for employers. And the bigger they are, the the more material that savings is. And we can 
save your employees and uh, money and give them a, a better experience at the end, which makes them healthier. So that's one side of the market. To do that, we have to have pharmacies. And so you know, we have 61,000 pharmacies in our network that we're contracted with, and we work with them in a couple of ways. One is being more fair in the way that we price for them. We don't make money on drugs. That's a core principle of the company. So that means there's savings to the employer and the patient and a more fair price to the pharmacy. And, and we could spend another hour on just talking about how pharmacies are being punished and, and mistreated in this. They're the most trusted healthcare professional in the industry. And there's one within five miles of, of every patient in the U.S. And, and yet we're putting them out of business with the way the system works. And the vast majority of Americans see their pharmacist far more than they see their primary care physician. In a non-direct care environment, I will say that most of our patients see our docs about 30 times a year, talk to them or that kind of stuff. So always a little asterisk, right? Always got a little put that little plug in there. Yeah, absolutely. But the pharmacy is a very low cost care setting. And so, you know, the, the scope of practice is expanding. The pandemic really helped highlight the value of the pharmacist as a care provider as well. And, and particularly when it's in partnership with um, the, the prescriber, they can actually manage disease states much more effectively together. And so that's been proven. There's tons of research that proves the effectiveness of that. So we provide to the pharmacist, we provide the ability to connect with our consumer users, the, you know, the ability to schedule clinical services, vaccinations, expose the, you know, the capabilities of that provider into that healthcare consumer base and help them grow their business as well. So that's another customer of ours as well. As we come to the end of our time here, Chris, it, it, it struck me, I was in a, in a uh, meeting recently with a U.S. senator and kind of a healthcare roundtable and a representative from, I'm in Indianapolis, so it was a local uh, insurance company here. People can kind of guess which, which, which one that was. And so the topic was transparency around PBMs. And no joke, this representative stood up and kind of berated the senator saying, if you make us show all of our prices, it's not going to do a darn thing for prescription drug pricing one way or another, because we're still going to figure out how to take that chunk of change. And I, the whole room was stunned, absolutely silenced. Yeah. And so it's, well, like, it, it's yeah. like we are up against something that they don't think they have to change. I don't think they want to change. I don't think they have. They, they say we don't have to change. We're going to ride the ship to the bottom until there's pitchforks and torches coming after us. Yeah, one of the jokes is in the industry is a PBM stands for perfect business model. It's the highest profit margin in healthcare, and it is the perfect business model. I mean, you make money on a drug product that you never touch. It's phenomenal, and there's a reason that they were in, in the top 50 of the Fortune 500 even before acquisition. But I think you know regulators are understanding it. I would just say that if I would you know anytime I get a chance to talk to a regulator, I make one point, which is if you want to have an impact make legislation that requires that they give their customers the data they need to shop. That's one of the, you, you can't go shopping if you don't know the price you're paying. And that's one of the tools and there's a number of games and, and antics that go on, but that's one of the fundamentals. Well, we saw that with hospitals, right? Hospitals were you know, uh, mandated to show all their pricing and there was no teeth in that in the in the executive order that it was signed for it. So only thirty percent of hospitals actually put pricing online, and the vast majority of them hid it from Google, so it would never be indexed, so people could never actually find it. So it's a step in the right direction. I'm totally on board with you, but that's why I'm kind of kind of chuckling here. That like you know 
there's some slippery uh, folks out there that will even still maintain just this complex world. And yeah, okay, we're we're technically abiding by this new rule. So there you go. Yeah, they're going to hold on to it as long as they can, but it, it will change. There's enough consumers are going to demand a different result as they take more responsibility for paying for their own health care, which they are. Sixty percent of patients paid cash out of pocket, even though they're insured. And regulators are getting better informed. So it, it's going to happen, it, but they're going to go down screaming. Love it. There you go. Chris Blackley, CEO of Prescriptive. Thank you for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. It's been very educational, eye-opening, and hopefully it motivates people to get out there, get involved, and be smart shoppers. I will say that. So, Chris, thanks for your time here, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chris. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.